This is an amazing time together. It's been great. Uh, first, before I start get going, I just want you to know what this church helped do on Monday and Tuesday of this week. Um, because of many of the volunteers, and they've all threatened my life if I make them stand up this morning, but many people from this church on Monday and Tuesday gave out 1,013 meals to hurting families in our community. And uh, yeah, we were so grateful for all of you and everything good. And, and by the way, that happened in 10 days because of the funding that we did not receive for our grants. And uh, in 10 days, my amazing team, who again, I am not allowed to say from the pulpit, but they're in this room, sitting like, you know, just right over there in the, you know, one of the rows, but I won't say any names. But we're just grateful for everything they did and the, the returns and the kids and everybody sending us cards and letters saying thank you. So it was a blessing this week to, to be able to help that many families. So this week, we're going to start with Acts 17. Last week, Pastor Jeff ended the 16th chapter of Acts where they were in Philippi and they were arrested, like always, beaten and jailed. While in prison, they were singing hymns of worship and, and God brought an earthquake in the middle of their worship. The jail was destroyed around them. They didn't run or escape. Remember, they, they stayed in there. The jailer was in fear of his life and, and he knew that if the prisoners escaped, he was responsible according to the Roman law. He threatened to kill himself. He was just about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas started screaming, out, wait, 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 don't harm yourself. We are here. To his surprise, he went and found them. And after that incredible act of kindness, what happened? Him and his household were saved and became part of the family of God. And as Pastor Jeff reminded us last week, he said, remember, look for the jailers in your life who need Jesus. Amen? 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 Thank you. I wanted to make sure that nobody fell asleep yet. Anyway, so today we're looking at Acts 17. Now, the four missionaries of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they've left Philippi. They traveled approximately 100 miles to the southwest to Thessalonica. Now, one of the things, much like the first missionary journey that's amazing about this, is that Paul and Silas have but one mission. They just have one mission to accomplish and to share the truth of Jesus Christ with the world of Jews and Gentiles throughout the world. They have a pattern everywhere they went. They had the same pattern every time they went into a new town. First, they would go to the Jewish synagogue, share the good news with them. Usually they would be discussing scriptures with them and leading them into what it means to, to follow Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross for their sins. And now it usually ended, sometimes it was people were saved, they accepted, both Jews, Gentiles, many Greeks. And it's interesting that the Bible in a couple of places mentions, and prominent women and men. The women are always introduced first. And there's an important reason for that, and we'll find that later on in Acts. We'll find out why that is. But then, as they're sharing that good news, there are those that do not appreciate what they're saying or do not agree with them. And in fact, the Jewish leaders went around and they started to hire mobsters from the docks, from the different places. So it usually ended with them in being ridiculed, beaten, or at least hidden sometimes by their own Christian brothers and let out of the city for fear of being flogged to death. 
So obviously, what I want to say today is that the purpose of the Christians of the first century was much like it is for us today. See, we all have the grace of a loving Savior. In our hearts, we, we know we want to share it with those that we love and care about. Um, for any of those in our families, friends, neighbors, those people that we love and care for, because they don't have it. When I say it, I mean the love of God in their lives. Maybe they lack a purpose. Maybe they lack, um, they're not happy. They're de depressed. Depression can be an ugly thing. And we experience a calling and an opportunity from the Holy Spirit at times to share that grace of God. And very often, <laughs> when we do share it, we are met with opposition in the form of anger, hatred, name-calling, sometimes physical violence, though not to the extent of our first and second century brothers and sisters. So when we get to Acts chapter 17, it's no different. What is different in this chapter is that they visit three cities, and they actually have three different responses to the same message. And it's interesting to me that when they give their message, one group acts one way, another group acts another way, and another group acts, and in all of those, we're going to see examples of how we, who are today, living in 2023, when we share the message, how we can get those same reactions from people from the second century. Actually, the first century, but we call it the second century, but anyways. So, first in Acts 17, they are in Thessalonica. Paul was aware that, that this city had a strong synagogue. And as always, that's the first place they go. When they get there, verse 2, in chapter 17, it says, For three Sabbaths they reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He preached that Jesus had to die and was raised from the dead and is now, and now Jesus is the Christ. Now see, as the Jews heard that, that means the Messiah. In their day, the, the deal of him going to the synagogue and sharing this was not just a big deal, but Paul had a reputation. Remember that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by Gamaliel. He was at the highest level of training to be a high priest in the Jewish nation. So that when Paul stepped into a synagogue, his reputation already preceded him for being very learned and very educated. What didn't happen was they didn't have social media. They didn't have the telephones. They didn't have cell phones taking pictures and fun stuff like that. That would have been interesting, but they didn't have that. And in fact, when they heard him start to reason from the scriptures, he would start from books like Isaiah, which they understood. He would start from books like Jeremiah, which they understood, Ezekiel. Now, the interesting part of those books is that the last part of those books point to Jesus as the Messiah. And as he gave them their scriptures and reasoned with them, he took their knowledge of the Old Testament, brought it down, and led them right into understanding who Jesus was. And why did he do that? Here's, how why, here's the why, family. Because when he walked into a culture, into a situation... He understood the culture to which he was speaking. He understood that if he just walked in there and started telling them, you're all going to go to hell unless you come to Jesus Christ. 
He couldn't start that way. But what he did was he started with their own books that they understood, who pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And it's easier for us to look at that and say, well, that's Paul. He was educated and he did that. But see, it wasn't just Paul giving his testimonies at the time. Because remember, one person, your pastor, Pastor Jeff and myself, we are not the only ones that can go out and share our testimony. Each person in here who calls the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has your own testimony. And guess what? You're going to be able to reach people that we never could because of who you are in Christ. See, God will never put us into a situation where that we would not be able to share his love and grace unless he knew that we were in a time and place that the people who need to hear it from us, that's where he puts us. Whenever I go to um, speak to a, an intellectual crowd, I talk much differently than I do when I go down to have coffee with some of the guys on the street. Because if I'm at a college speaking or if I'm here at the church speaking and then I'm on the church speaking, I can't say the same things to all of them, can I? They're, they're going to have a hard time with understanding what grace and propitiation for your sins and all those words. They're going to look at me like I lost my mind. We don't even know what you're talking about. On the other hand, when I walk down to them and say, tell me how you're doing. I want to know your story. And I want to hear them as to where life has taken them and what has happened and the decisions they made to get them into this situation. And then ask them, do you want to get out? Do you want to get what you called yourself? You said, I want to get better. Do you know what better means? Describe what it means to be better. And I would say the same thing to anybody here today. If you're living a life that you know is not just contrary to God's law or to who Jesus Christ is, then you're here for a purpose. Because today, because today, I didn't say because, did I really? Because today, you're going to understand and know that no matter what your situation is, Jesus Christ came, died on that cross for you. Each one of us can say that in our own situation and whatever our situation is. So it tells us then later on in that passage that Paul preached the good news of the Messiah. Some Jews believed along with God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. But for those who did not believe, they became jealous, formed a mob from the marketplace and the docks. They attacked the house of Jason. Jason, I tried to find out who Jason was, but he just was a convert into the, into the what we call, they called the way. And he became a Christian, and he had a nice house. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were staying there. And the mob found that out, and so they went to Jason's house to drag them out. But when they couldn't find him, they dragged out Jason instead, out in front of the magistrate. And here's what they said. Now remember, these are just four guys who are walking 200, they walked 100 miles from one place to the other. They walked into the town, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and here's what this says about these four guys. These who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, saying, there is another king, Jesus, other than Caesar. 
Now, wait a minute. These four simple men, one of them educated, the other three not so much. Dr. Luke was with them. He was educated. But they said, these who have turned the world upside down. <laughs> Paul's reputation preceded him. I don't know how many of you are in the workplace, but in, and where you work that people know you are a Christian, and sometimes they will say things, they will do things. They will, they, and when I worked, I was a truck mechanic for a long time, and truck mechanics are not known for their flowery kind speech. Rarely. And when they would want to tell jokes after a while, they knew who I was, what I stood for and represented, and they would stop talking. And they would say, no, Bill, you can't hear this, you know, you can't, you know, because it's not like I didn't hear their speech all the way through the truck bays and everything else. But then they would say to me, you know, we don't want to do that. But now here was the amazing part of this. Whenever their parents or somebody in their family would be sick or somebody would be hurting, a mom or dad would go to the hospital. They would walk to me and they would say, hey, Bill, come here, can I talk to you? Real quiet, in the corner, by ourselves. Can you pray for my family? Because I know you pray and you talk to God. You see, these people that say they have turned the world upside down, what they're talking about is Paul and Silas and, and his team have made it so that they're preaching and teaching us things that is going to upset our lifestyle. Our lifestyle of doing what we want, when we want, how we want, that's, that's not, we don't like that. The news preceded the evangelist from Philippi, but also um, many of the sailors had brought the word about the Christians from the other port cities around the region, as well as wherever the followers of Jesus made an impact on the known world. 1 Thessalonians 8 and 9 says, "For because, just let me tell you, for they're in Thessalonica, and now the Thessalonian letter that Paul wrote, he wrote this to these people because a church had started there. And this letter he had written when he was in Corinth because he leaves the area and goes down to Corinth. He writes the letter to the Thessalonians to say, hey, I want to thank you because for from you the world of the Lord has sounded forth. And it goes on to say in that, that letter of how they were impacting the whole world. Paul turned the world upside down because of the people who responded and turned to the Lord. The lesson here is this. If we get to a point to where that we understand who we are in Jesus' name, when we understand the power that's in his name, not in us, when we understand that it is not me who stands before you, but it is the word of God that I would love to share with you, when we know that we have stood before them with the truth of God's word, that's when the, we're going to turn the world upside down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to happen all at one time. How does it happen? One person at a time. If you have someone in your family who you would say, oh, they're never going to come to the Lord. They just hate Jesus. They know everything. When trouble gets in someone's life, it's amazing how much they want to understand who Jesus is. I don't know if any of you experienced that, but I have many times in my own life where people will say, wait a minute, my, I'm, I just found out the doctor gave me the cancer word. Pray, please. And I'd say, well, I am going to pray for that all the time. But tell me why you would like me to pray. Because even though they will deny him up to that point, 
And all of a sudden, they know that healing, that power, that grace, that strength comes from the living God. The preaching of the gospel will always stir up, excite, and shine a light on the darkness of old values and securities. And then it's demanding a decision, isn't it? It makes it so that somebody has to make, they have to turn around 180 degrees. Because it says that in there, they turned from the way that they were going and went to, they turned. And the word for that turning 180 degrees is, does anybody know? Repent. That's exactly right, John. Thank you. To repent means that you're going this way, I'm following this way, I'm doing this way, to turn around and go, look, Jesus is there, I'm going this way. That's what repent means, and that's where it goes. And that's how these people finally found out the message of Jesus Christ. They found out that the message of Jesus Christ is the only basis of abundant life. Now an eternal life forever will always reach the deepest needs of life. The key to experiencing a true conversion experience to a life guided by the Lordship of Jesus Christ starts with a pivot. Starts with a point where you're going to stop. Or a, make a U-turn. The U-turn of life must be turned from a self-controlled life to a Christ-controlled life or there is no real beginning. And that's what Paul is trying to tell them. You have believed all of these things at this point of what you thought was the real truth, the real life, and the real way. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is the only truth, the only life, and the only way. Everything that has been said about the spirit-filled life starts with the incisive confrontation of the human self with the living Christ. Amen? Because we can't, until we make that decision to follow him, until we decide this is it, everyone who claims to be a Christian must be able to point to a time that it started. Don't you believe so? Can all of us remember the day that we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we remember what was happening? I was in cabin 22 at Angeles Crest Christian Camp, had a pocket full of drugs, thought for sure that I knew what I was living, got talked into going up to camp because of a pretty girl who I'm married now to, by the way, when I was 17. Anyways, we're, but she is the one that God used to bring me to this camp. But when I got to that camp, I found something even much more important the living Savior of Jesus Christ. It's hard to understand how impactful, important that pivot turning point is. So if each one of us were to write out a testimony, we could give a day and time when we decided. Don't shoot the messenger. But I'm here to say that if you're here and you claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you don't have that day and time known, please make it today. I don't care if you do it here. I don't care if you do it at home with your family, by yourself, go somewhere. But make it today. Give yourself a day and a time that you're deciding that today I am going to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When you do that, when that surrender takes place in your life, then you know, then you know that he is guiding you, he is directing you, he is holding you up. He is making sure that your needs are taken care of, not your wants, but everything you need, he will supply. 
Every time that Paul would share the gospel of the good news, his message was not only brought, has not only brought conversion, but it also brought hostility. Remember that as we look into the next city, number two, in Acts 17. Because the brethren had to, out of where they were in Thessalonica, they had to leave under darkness of night. The, the brethren had to sneak Paul out and Silas out of there to Berea, which is 60 miles to the west. So now we're going to look at uh, in Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. And I want to read this because this is kind of important. 17, 10 through 15. Whoops, let me get on the right page. Over here. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded men than those of Thessalonians. For they received the word with great eagerness, exclaiming, examining, and the scriptures daily to see whether or not these things they were speaking were true. Therefore, many of them believed, along with number of prominent Greek women and men. And when the Jews of Thessalonica found out the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they became... <laughs> very upset, and they went to Berea as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far west as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a, com a command for Silas and Timothy to join him, they left as soon as possible. So now here we are. We go to the second city. We're going to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue. Again, the word says, now these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. The Bereans received the word with readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things were true. And then the Bible says, therefore, many of them believed. And also, not a few of the Greeks, which anytime the Bible says not a few, that means a whole lot did. I never understood that phrase, but it is quite a few times in the New Testament. It says, and not just a few. We're talking, you know, a lot of people. Prominent women as well as men. So 60 miles away from the experiencing danger, the Holy Spirit had a receptive city waiting for the missionary team. It's almost as if God knew they needed to understand that their message was relative, important, and was going to be received. Because any time that we get knocked down to our knees from a spiritual battle, and we're feeling like we're worn out, we're tore up, we're down, we're out, God smiles every time we stand up. If you want to see God smile after a battle, just stand up and brush it off and say, Lord, I just need to rest for a minute, but I'm going to go right back out. That's when God smiles. Please remember that never, ever, ever, when you're going through hard times and you're going through something tough that's just, you feel like, God, where are you? What's going on? Why am I feeling this? What did I do to deserve this? I know none of you in here ever asked that question. 
But there are times when people have said, God, what did I do to deserve this? And I'm here to tell you, folks, it's not what you did in God's name to deserve this. It's what the fact that the enemy saw what you did and didn't like it. So his arrows will get bigger. Remember, we have an enemy of our hearts. And read Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 if you don't believe me. But that's a great place to look. But whenever we feel like, what did we do to, it's not what you did to deserve this, it's what you did in Jesus' name that the enemy didn't like. And he's going to come after you. When it says not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, they all believed. In the original language, oh, so 60 miles away from experiencing danger, the Holy Spirit receptive city waiting even if only for a brief time, they found some fair-minded people. Now, that's an interesting word, fair-minded people. You know me, many times if I see things like that, I have to go look it up in the original language, which I did. In the original language, the word is Eugenius Sarai, or noble, generous, free from prejudice, which equaled a readiness to listen and search the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's the word. Many times in this day and age, those who search the scriptures for the truth still call themselves Bereans because that's what the town of Berea became known for, is that those who wanted to know the truth, so they would search the scriptures to find that. The great experience with the Bereans was short-lived because the Jewish leaders who came from Thessalonica, I keep stumbling over that word because the town is now called Thessaloniki and that's why I keep stumbling over that word heard that Paul and his companions went to Berea so that mob that attacked them in Philippi and Thessalonica they followed them and worked very hard to disrupt the work of the Lord in Berea and again they were about to be put to death the Bereans took them at the time, sent them away for his safety. Luke went with him as well as we see the proof of that in the rest of the chapter. Timothy and Silas were told to stay behind in Berea for a while, and then they even went back to deal with the Thessalonians. They went there because there was a very strong church that was founded and began there in the name of Jesus. So they went back to strengthen the church of believers that was started there. So now we have Paul going almost 300 miles south. Now, folks, remember, these guys don't have planes, trains, and automobiles to get down there. We walked 300 miles. So I find it interesting in the Word of God when it says, and they went to Berea. They went to, you know, down to Athens from Berea. If you were to look on a New Testament map and find out how far away that was, it would amaze you. Because I don't know what's 300 miles from here, but just imagine going to Bakersfield from here and just walking. Yeah, that might take a minute. So it's not like, and remember, if they walked eight miles a day, which is what their common practice was, that would tell you with a time difference between when they left, when they left the place up north to get down to Athens. When they arrived in Athens, verse 15 says, Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, 300 miles south, then all but Luke, who escorted him, were sent back to tell Timothy and Silas to come to Paul as soon as possible. Then in verse 16, 
looking at my time, good. So now when Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to so many idols. One thing that surprises me about this part of scripture, and this, what's about to happen is one of my favorite parts of reading the way Paul dealt with the people in Athens. One thing that surprises me is that Paul is not as worried about the leaders of the Jewish synagogue or by the Judaizers. Judaizers were the people who basically felt like everybody needed to be Jewish. So their, their whole thing was, don't tell people about Jesus. You need to tell them about the law of Moses and God. And, all, and they wanted to do that. This time he was dealing with a group of intellectuals and he was about to discover the difficulties of confronting the intellectual community, especially about the resurrection, because that would be something that, to an intellectual, they're going to look at them like, you've lost your mind. So now, let's just recap for a minute. So you had the first group that he went to, who were very receptive, but then got mad, and the Jew people grabbed the mobs, and they drived him out, and he went down to Berea. Got to Berea, and he's with fair-minded people who really wanted to know what's going on with God, and, and he wanted to understand the truth of God's word. Now he's in Athens, and it's with a whole different group of people. See, in each one of our own lives today, when we're out trying to share the word of God with somebody, we're going to meet people of different levels, aren't we? We don't know everybody. We're not all the same. We don't know everybody who are the same exact kind of people. We don't know people who are exactly like the same as one another. I mean, look around you. We're all different. Praise God. Because the whole point is that each one of us come to Jesus at our own, in our own way. In our own journey. Some of us find the Lord when we're five. Some of us find the Lord when we're 16, 17. Some of us find the Lord in our 40s. It's the same Jesus every time someone comes to him. Amen? Amen. So when we get to that point that we understand who Jesus really is and we decide that we're going to take that pivot, we're going to start following Jesus this way, it's the same way for everybody that Paul went to see. But now he's in Athens. He's walking around the city, and what does he see? But a bunch of idols dedicated to everything from the, the ants on the ground to the sun to the blocks to the, this god is the god of rain, and this idol is for the, the trees of the fields, and this idol is for the apples and the pears and the prunes. And I mean, they had God's idols for everything there. Athens was known as the city for that. As he's walking around, he could have diluted his message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He knew that he couldn't just walk in and start preaching about that where he was at this point, because if he had had, if he had done that, he would have met with people just saying, okay, you're, you've lost your mind. You're weak-minded. You're trying to tell us something that you don't even know for sure because you have no proof. You say that your faith is your proof. I'm an intellectual. I want to see 
I want to see God. I want to see who he is. I want to see Jesus walk through that door. If Jesus is alive, as you say, and he got resurrected from the dead, tell him to come and visit us, and then we'll listen to him. That's the intellectual community of Athens. And see, in that city, when he was trying to teach that, he could have said, well, let's figure out how now, you know, well, if you don't believe in, if you don't want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that's okay. You can just come to God and be okay with that. Have I ever heard of that today? I can do, believe whatever I want. All roads lead to heaven. Yeah, well, that's not true, just so you know. There were two philosophical schools of thought that dominated the city of Athens at this time. Okay, this is very interesting because one was the Epicureans who asserted that pleasure and happiness were the two aims of life. If you're going to have a happy life, they believed that the gods were distant, uninvolved in the human experience. Life was to be lived free of passion, fear, and pain of any kind. Their motto, eat, drink, and be merry. Anybody ever heard that before? You see, now, the English added for tomorrow we die, but that's because they were facing some bad people in a war. But anyway, but eat, drink, and be merry was their motto for everything they did and so the epicureans and i find it interesting here because i was a chef for a while remember when everybody say oh this looks like an epicurean delight well now i take offense to that i don't want to see i don't want people to say that when i'm cooking i want people to say oh thank you jesus for that fine food but the epicureans believed that all you had to do was just have a good time long as you have a good time and lived a happy life you were fine now, the other train of thought was the Stoics. Now, this is a crazy group. This ought to be fun. They took their name from Stoa Poikele. Poikele, the painted porch. That's what it meant. Because their founder, Zeno, and that really was his name, the founder of Stoic belief was Zeno. He held his lectures there on the painted porch. And they were the complete opposite of the Epicureans. Okay? They believed that all of their, their life was determined by the gods. Many of them. Little g with lots of s's. And laws of nature. They're completely free that according to them, life had to be lived according to the laws of nature and completely free of emotional involvement. So don't show any emotions. I would have an issue with that kind of belief. Not that I get emotional, as many of you know already, but they saw life as an expression of their gods lacking any emotion. So now we can see why Paul and his message caused such a stir in Athens. Because you got one group that says, oh, just eat, drink, and be merry. You got another group that says, no, 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 no. The gods are it. So Paul goes into the synagogue, and he is discussing the scriptures with the Jews in Athens at the synagogue, like he always does. After leaving the synagogue, he continues his discussions with people in the agora or in the main marketplace. While he's in there talking about the scriptures and the message of Jesus in the marketplace, all of a sudden, the philosophers hear him. Those of the intellectual community hear him, and they want to know about this. 
Now here's the fun part of this. Those philosophers began to ask each other, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Those are verse 17 and 18. Those philosophers began to say, what does this babbler, this was a highly offensive, you're talking to a very emotionally, intellectual, driven, with a message of God in his heart person. And they called him nothing but a babbler of foreign gods. It was being very offensive to Paul in that. And then verse 22 explains the interesting <laughs> culture of the people in the area. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's who the Athenians were. They just sat around discussing religion, life, society. That's all, they, that's all they wanted to do. So as these intellectuals are hearing Paul talk about this stuff in the marketplace, they said, you know what? You need to come to the Areopagus. We want to hear you some more. We want to hear some more of this message. So the place in the middle of the Areopagus was known as Mars Hill. This is the place which is the intellectual court area where all who wish to express a new philosophy or thought would be judged. They would be judged either valid or weak-minded. It was the philosophic review board that met there, in fact. It was the same court that tried and condemned Socrates to death just in the year 400. Paul, knowing his audience and to whom he was speaking... He was ready to address them in a way that would communicate his message for them to know the salvation in Jesus Christ. As he was traveling in the city earlier, that idol that struck him the most was the titled To the Unknown God. It's an astounding thing when these people who can worship everything from ants on the ground to leaves on a tree to buildings to progress to whatever they want to do it, they can all realize and recognize that there's still something missing. Isn't that amazing? All the people who say they worship whatever always know, and it's other than Jesus Christ himself, they always know something is missing. Dear family, when you're out sharing the word of God and you're talking to people about who Jesus is, and they may have trauma in their lives and everything else, you may be able to find and address and understand them the fact that they know something is missing. They may know that their heart is hurting and they don't even know why. And see, Paul is there to say to them, okay, men of Athens, and he starts, and he starts in verse 22. And he says, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. 
nor is he served by the human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. See, that's the title of today's message because here's the thing we have to understand. We serve the living Savior who gives life and breath to all things. Amen? Amen. And since we serve that living God, since we serve Christ the Savior, since we are the ones who know who he is because of the words in this book, then is it not our job to go out and figure out how to make the message known? When Paul was traveling through everywhere he went, he knew exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Not because Paul was that, but because he was led by the Spirit. Remember what it said when he was sitting in there and looking around at all the others. His spirit became provoked. He didn't even know why, but for some reason he was sitting there getting mad. He's saying, I'm getting very angry at this city. I can't believe they got all these stupid idols. They don't even know who God is, and this is worthless. And even in the upsetness, the provokedness that he had at the moment, he still had time to say, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me, and show me the direction that, th that this goes. Because that's who Paul was. Paul was led by the Spirit in everywhere he went. Back in chapter 16, remember, he was going to go one way, and then he had a dream that the Macedonians were saying, hey, come here to help us. You realize that everything in chapter 16 and 17, he's in the area of Macedonia. He's where the Holy Spirit led him in that dream to say, hey, go here, go there. Paul was listening to the Spirit when he got that message. Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear a little voice in your head or all of a sudden a thought comes to you that says, call your sister, call your brother, call your mom, call your dad, call your friend so-and-so, please do so. There's a reason for that. God is telling you they need your help. They need to know that you care. They need to know that you are the one who cares for them all the way through. And as God leads him to take the philosophers and all the Athens by surprise, this brilliant converted and Christfield Pharisee was too much for them to handle. When he talked of judgment and resurrection, it was too much for both the Epicureans and the Stoics. And they had a lot to think about. In fact, others put him off instead in declaring him a weak-minded lunatic and having him killed, much like Socrates, they all of a sudden, they simply said, we will hear you again on this matter. In other words, you can go away now, we'll hear you again later. They knew they couldn't kill him. They knew they couldn't harm him or anything because he was talking about a God that they didn't know and they did not know what that God would do to them if they hurt his servant. So at this point in time, they said, and we'll look at this later. So here's my final thought. When God's people hear his calling, and you acknowledge it, that, you, that is, because we like to ignore it, don't we? We know God is telling us, oh man, the heads, a lot of heads just went right like this. When God is talking to you and you know it, it's time for you to acknowledge that and then follow him and guide and do what the Holy Spirit says. Amen? amen. Wow, that amen got real quiet. Amen? Amen. 
Thank you very much. The result is up to God. The result is not your job. Your job is to go. Paul's job was simple to deliver the message. That's your job. Call somebody and say, hi, how are you? I don't want you to be expository in the scriptures, preach at them or anything else. I care about who you are. Are you okay? That's what we want to do. Paul adapted to the culture of everybody that he was speaking to. And even after Paul was gone, the Spirit kept the message working. There are strong churches in those cities even today. And here's the final question. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. Have you ever been put in situations where you have the opportunity to share your testimony <laughs> of what God has done for you? Nothing more, nothing less. Just your testimony. This is what happened when I knew I needed to find the Lord Jesus. Let us all remember the lessons in Acts 17 of how even in the severe opposition that Paul faced, he shared the story of Christ that he knew that when he did, he met with strong opposition and ridicule, but he also met with those who found the loving Savior of Jesus Christ. And then when it was time to stop and go, he did. God used those things to get him to a new place. He did not overstay, overpreach, or justify his message. He gave it and let the Holy Spirit use it and moved it to the next place that needed to hear it. Dear family, God doesn't ask you, and Jeff has preached on this many times, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing in this church. Preach the gospel. Go, make, teach, and baptize. One of the things that I hope you understand and realize is that God will never ask you some, to do something that you cannot do. He never expects you to go and be the preacher in front of thousands or anything else. But when he says to you, hey, call so-and-so, they need to hear from you. Make the call. Hear them. Let God do the work. My dear friend, my dear sister, my dear one, I just want you to know that I care about you. They might get mad at you sometimes for calling. And at that point in time, all you're going to say to them is, I understand, and I care more about you than I care if you get mad at me. Because that's the important thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's hard for us to know and hear your word to tell us to do things that we may not want to do. But help us to understand this, O oh God. It is you who are working through us. It is not by our own strength. And more than that is the message that you have for those that we care about. Father, as always, if there's any here this morning who do not know the power and the strength in Jesus Christ, may they not leave this place without finding, knowing, and accepting him as Lord and Savior. And we pray all of these things in his holy name. Amen. If there's prayers that you need, please feel free to come forward as the team shares in worship.
starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus your name is power your name is healing your name is stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through shadows burn like a fire shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire Your name is power, your name 
God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Have a safe weekend. Bill, great message today. Thank you.